0: Welcome everyone. My name is Shannon Brown. I'm a senior analyst at Standards Australia and your host of the Set of Standard podcast. A podcast where we speak to industry experts about current and emerging industries and technologies to better understand the role of standards in benefiting the Australian community. Over the last few years, a conversation has been emerging as to how we can better integrate our physical and virtual environments with concepts like smart cities and digital twins evolving and substantial work in areas like building information modelling. Standards Australia launched its digital engineering initiative, exploring how to bring these technologies together and accelerate the digital transformation of the engineering and construction sector. Joining us on this episode is Adam Stingemore, General Manager of Engagement and Communications at Stanners Australia. Adam is responsible for leading Stanners Australia's engagement and strategic delivery, international communications and design, research and analysis and events teams. I'm also joined by Eric Budja. Eric is the Chairperson of the Building Smart Australasia and an Executive Member of the Australasian BIM Advisory Board. He's been an advocate for technological change in the AEC sector through his various roles, ranging from manufacturing automation to startup advisor to project director on rail infrastructure projects. And I'm also joined by Simon Vox. Simon is a chartered civil engineer with over 20 years experience delivering major infrastructure projects in both the public and private sectors. He is the CEO of Dios Digital and is leading voice for digital transformation in the engineering and construction industry. On this episode, we discuss current and future challenges for the sector, the concept of digital engineering, and the opportunity it presents, as well as the importance of data and visions for the industry. Before we get into this really important conversation, it would be just good to get an overview of all of your experiences with the engineering and construction industry. Um, I might start off with you, Adam.
1: So I worked initially as a construction lawyer many, many years ago and came to Standards Australia about 15 years. I've been around the construction sector ever since. I've never been a project manager. I've never had a contract. And so I guess my experience is a little bit different to others who are actually on the tools.
2: Simon? So I've um, been in, in the industry since 2001, and i spent most of my career in um, sort of transport infrastructure. So designing bridges, managing designs, eventually getting into um, working with government, um, trying to drive government change on how to deliver infrastructure projects better. Um, so, now for about the last two and a half years, run my consultancy now, giving advice back to organizations that work in the infrastructure space to um, become more digital. Entire career just in this sort of space.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Simon. And Eric?
3: Bit of a diverse background. So, I started, I'm a mechanical engineer by background, but started in manufacturing. Um, a lot of work in factory automation, improving efficiencies in manufacturing. We've worked for a startup for a couple of years, getting them out of R&D into manufacturing and then into a large design consultancy. We had various roles, uh, project director, design manager, and and then ran a couple of teams in architecture and engineering and also industry and resources. So very diverse, broad range of industries. Moved out of design in the last five years, now into construction, into the construction sector. Now I'm on the other side of the fence, but again, helping them with their digital transformation. So gone from managing projects, designing projects, to helping with digital transformation on both design and construction side of things, as well as my chair, my role as chair of Building Smart.
0: Brilliant. And in terms of, I guess everyone here in the room has a history within construction industry, some longer than, than others. But in terms of looking at the, the the engineering and construction industry's history, it has overcome some of the world's biggest challenges, you know, building cities, connecting communities. What, in your view, Simon, are the current challenges that the industry faces?
2: Yeah, good question. I think there's definitely, you could say, a a massive skill shortage that Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, it's pretty much worldwide. Most major cities around the world have some form of infrastructure backlog and there's not enough people to actually deliver that. So that's the first thing. Um, Secondly, I think in Australia, there's a lot of investment in um, I'd say mega projects, so projects over a billion dollars that all seems to be happening around the same time. Not a lot of coordination between um, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland as an example. Um, So there's a a thin pool of resources and we're competing for those resources in amongst ourselves. And so how does the government then drive value when there's not enough people to go around and um, too many projects all happening at the same time? The other main thing, actually, I think um, we could talk about diversity and the lack of diversity that, you know, is a big problem. And that stems back to um, right the way back to education. Back when I was studying civil engineering, I think there was maybe about 12% of our year were uh, female. And these days, when I talk to young graduates, it's still around 12%. So something needs to change there. It's a great industry to be in, but um, we need to attract more women. But so have all these issues with resourcing and so forth. But I think one of the things that we will be discussing today is around digital transformation and about how over the last 20 years, there's been such a rapid change in technology in most major industries. Um, Industry 4.0 is definitely here. Um, we see it in our consumer lives all the time with all this you know wonderful technology. But in the engineering and construction sector, it's really a laggard compared to the others. And we can talk about that, some of the reasons behind that. But I think that's another major issue that faces our sector that um, we need to get on and start to solve.
0: Thank you for that. And Eric, do you see similar challenges or are you in alignment with, with what Simon's saying?
3: Pretty much in alignment with Simon. I guess you've got two ways to solve that problem. You yeah. either throw more people at it or you yeah. become more efficient. <laughs> I think it's a bit of both. But if we become more efficient, even if we threw all the people we could at, at this problem, yeah. We're not going to solve it. So yeah. we have to become more efficient. It's a no-brainer. To deliver the sort of infrastructure we have to deliver over the next 10, 15 years, yeah. the only way we can do it is with greater efficiency through our design and construction process.
0: With any of the the challenges that you've you've both mentioned, there are solutions that have come up over the last 10 to 15 years, um, and BIM being one of those, um, it's generally considered to be you know the digital transformation for the engineering and construction industry. Do you mind, Eric, just giving us an overview of, of BIM and, and what it brings to the industry?
3: Well, if you put 100 people in a room and ask them what is big, yeah. you are going to get 100 different answers. <laughs> I mean, so I'll, give, I'll give my yeah. version. Yeah. Um, so I guess over the last 20 years, like engineering and design has been done the same way for a very long time. So the way we communicate engineering information, we use drawings, we use specs. Mm-hmm. 20 or 30 years ago, software was developed that engineers and architects could use that could you – no, know, an engineer doesn't have to sketch something on a drawing, hand it to a drafter, okay. and then communicate. Yep. So you create – Know, software, design software allows you to create a 3D model with information built in it. Yep. That information is useful. You can extract information to it. Uh, different disciplines can start sharing progress as they're developing their design, mm-hmm. and essentially that was BIM. Yep. Now, there's information within those models that are useful for other purposes, yep. cost, planning, yep. asset management. But over time we've said, okay, let's see if we can start cramming more information and more information into that and see how we could use it. But that in order to use that sort of technology over the life cycle of a project, it really relies on you at the front end saying, what are we going to use this for? Okay. How are we going to structure it? Yeah. And that's the hard thing that we face in our industry, right? Nobody's thinking about look, think thinking forward. They're thinking yeah. about, what do I need to do now? I'm in the design phase. Let's just focus on design. Then we think about construction. Okay. Then we think about operations. So BIM is this one piece of technology that's mm-hmm. allowed us to coordinate information, be yep. more collaborative. Yep. But now we want to take that and say, okay, how do we expand that beyond just that design and construction handover process yep. and do more with it? And I think that's part of what we're going to talk about of how do we go beyond BIM.
0: Yeah. And it's funny, when you, that was my next question in terms of going beyond BIM. Um, and that is, you know, digital engineering is one of the things that that, um, that we were that we will be speaking to today in terms mm. of, of its role in, in that capacity. Again, similar to BIM, it means different things to different people. So I'd be really interested to hear all of your perspectives and views <laughs> on what digital engineering is and the opportunities that it too presents to the, the engineering and construction sector. Mm. Um, Simon, I might start off with you first.
2: Uh, okay, yeah. Um, it's um, yeah one of those million-dollar questions, I think. Um, there's been... So many debates over many years so many conferences and all that kind of stuff. What is BIM? What's digital engineering? But I think maybe uh, a way to break it down is just to talk about the core characteristics. And I think uh, Eric's described BIM really well, that it was this evolution from two-dimensional drawings. We've gone from, um, you know, the drawing, like manual drawings to CAD to then 3D models for visualization to then smart 3D models. Putting all this additional data inside the three D model, so I say BIM is like a bit like that—a smart three D model. So you can do smart things like better visualization, clash detection, stakeholder engagement. You know, digital engineering is looking at things a bit differently. Though we're not trying to tackle just three D modeling and um, the benefits of using that technology. The problem that I see we're trying to fix is one where, um, as Eric mentioned as well, like um, we have a life cycle. We go from planning to design to construction to handover to operate and maintain, and you have all these discrete life cycle stages where the handover between each life cycle stages is, is pretty inefficient. There's not a lot of reuse of information, um, data gets lost or it's in different formats, and the prize that I think we want to try to set up is one where that's all streamlined. So over the whole value chain, it's all linked together. So I call that the digital asset lifecycle or the digital thread. And so to do that, we need to start designing um, or getting better at um, designing the way data will flow. I think BIM has come from a space where file management was the de facto way of data management. I just want to procure and specify these files to be able to get through this gate on the project. So I've got my drawings, my documents, my BIM models. I've got all the files that I need. I tick, tick, tick. I can get through the gateway, and then my stage is finished. And then there's a whole bunch of files for someone else to then work out during the next stage. Instead we want to design a pipeline of metadata that um, flows over that whole life cycle so we can join those life cycle stages together. And so the definition that we've landed on with digital engineering is one where I describe it as a collaborative way of working using semantic data management to know more productive methods of project delivery and asset management. And so semantic data management is something that has sort of been overlooked in our sector for some time. We've got good at specifying the files. We need to get better at um, the semantics. So how do we design databases that can talk together? In the IT space, they talk about semantic interoperability. And to do that, uh, basic way, it's just a common language of how databases can talk. And so to do that, we need a, a common data model that is the template for how the databases will be designed so they can talk over the whole life cycle. So that's a general, in a nutshell, um, where I see digital engineering is being possibly the next step beyond BIM. Instead of just looking at all the different deliverables in isolation, we design this ecosystem that flows over the value chain or, or the digital thread of data.
0: So is it kind of like where you're taking, it's currently in silos nearly as we're bringing it all, the interoperability hmm. between everything across the whole life cycle. In terms of then, Adam, is that something that you also, is like? how do you define digital engineering?
1: So I agree with both Eric and Simon and have a different layer of all of this. So within the construction sector today, BIM is a a very mature technology that allows for people to design in a database and then to construct in a database. And there's a pipeline of activity going on to sort of further improve that a little bit. Beyond that are a whole range of other agendas that are running at the moment. They're very similar. There's a smart cities thematic that's emerging around how we connect our cities and connect the physical environment with the digital environment, which drifts into another digital twin-type conversation that's happening as well. And then the on the construction or manufacturing side is, as Simon said, the industry 4.0 piece. And all of these agendas are really, really important, and they're very similar. They're just a different parts of a chain. Whether it's a value chain of construction is debated often by experts, but we see it at Standards Australia as this need to be able to connect all this different data in a way that is necessary. And it's not about picking winners or losers or backing this technology or that technology or getting into any of the sort of vendor Mm. conversations that go on for us. It's about working out how all of these agendas can come together so that ultimately, people can choose to use that data to be able to do things, which we see is a, is a big absence today.
3: I think we get so caught up trying to define and create terminology and define that terminology mm-hmm. that we spent 20 years focusing on what is BIM, what is digital engineering, what is the digital twin, but at the core of all of that, it's the same thing, right? Yep. Structured yep. digital information that can flow from one phase to the next. Mm. So if we start focusing, okay, let's not spend a lot of time defining and spend more time doing it mm. and getting it to work, mm. I think we'll be a lot further forward than you know, having the discussions over and over again
1: for 20 yeah. years. I uh, very much agree with that and, and and think it's almost about it's almost about going back to the very beginning. Yep. So we've evolved these ecosystems at different parts of the mm. chain yep. and the really important thing that we can do now is to stop and go back to the very top and ask ourselves how all these things. All these pieces mm, come, together. come like, together. There's all exactly. this really great technology, yep. you know, this is what we're trying to achieve.
3: Let's have a look at what's there and see how we can. And that's part of what you're. I guess you're trying to do something.
2: Well, yeah. So a, a light bulb moment for me was um, looking at um, other sectors, and just if you look at just um, daily life, like we, you know, interact with so many databases on a, on a regular basis that we don't even notice. You know, it's just um, this sort of hidden world behind um, every app that we use on our phone, pretty much. And um, you know, um, the. Queries that we fire off when we push, um, you know, different buttons on our apps and stuff, um, is really what powers um, the intelligence and interaction that we have with with data on a daily basis. So um, the ability to be able to have data in a way that can be queried on mass um, powers business intelligence. It powers um, the way modern business actually operates. So we want to have our data in a way that can be queried. Now, um, the turning point, I guess on why BIM is potentially limited as at the moment is that we need to have our data in a space that can be queried. So if I've got multiple projects that are all on the go, I want to be able to query across all those projects. Okay. Um, at the same time, say if I've got like an asset I be about to query all the historical data about it. So find me the certificates, find me the drawings, where is this located on a map? How much did it cost? When was it built? Who built it? Um, it's really hard to get all that information at the moment because we can't fire off uh, queries from one specific you know, application across all these different data sources when they're all scattered across BIM GIS and documents and risk registers and requirements. Um, so if we can design, and there is a degree of design that we need to do, mm-hmm. design that data architecture on how these things would actually be connected so we can query and um, have a level of business intelligence that we haven't had before. And I think that like, when we get to that point by designing the way this data model should work so we can um, query across multiple databases, it's going to optimize the way we work considerably.
3: And when you think about your personal life and what you were saying there, Mm. if you want to know what time the next movie is at a certain Mm. cinema, you don't log into their database. Their database pushes that information onto a thing called the internet, which is an open format and open source, and all these databases are pushing and pulling. From this place where we all go to and then yep. find that information, yeah. that's effectively what we're trying to do in the construction sector. Ask any question, it's pull there. it from any source, yep. and be able to query it.
0: And then, just when you're talking about the like, we're talking about the technologies, like with BIM, we're talking about you know, you've, you've mentioned digital twin um, and you know, digital engineering. So they're the technologies, but then how um, how does the industry think about data? So taking it away from the technology, but how does the industry see data? Uh, um, Yeah, it's a good good (laughs) question. (laughs) Yeah. um, are they like it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Diner's good, you know?
1: Um, Yeah,
2: I'd say like um, there's uh, a lot of expertise. I think people um, in our industry, people often get asked, personally I get asked, um, what technology should I learn? Yeah. What technology is important for um, being able to do my job better? And um, I try to reframe it and go, well, um, I think, To start, we just understand the the core principles on what good data management looks like. And so um, when I work with different clients, I work through layers of what's your process and then how does your data flow? And then that will set the requirements for how your technology should actually operate. But um, if you start bottom up and say, okay, I've got this technology and I want to start using this without having any clear requirements on the way data should work. Um, how do you know whether that technology is going to meet your, your yeah. needs and um, there are many examples of businesses where they buy the technology first and then they're forever trying to shoehorn their business processes right. into, inside technology that was never necessarily designed to, to meet their purpose. What are you
3: actually trying to achieve? like that's the first step you know yeah. at the end of the day everybody just wants better information to make better decisions yeah. Yeah. but what information do you need? yeah and now let's look at a technology to get you that information. Yep. So you've got the latest information when you need it to make a yep. good decision.
1: And I think there's, there's another really important element here, Shannon, which is about a collective effort. Yep. And it's yes. not a question of individual companies getting involved. Last year or the year before, there was a study done of the construction sector and their digital readiness by a very big consulting firm that found in Australia, 40% of construction companies had a presence on the internet. And 3% of construction companies or companies engaged in the construction yeah. sector had a digital transformation strategy. Now, on on a first think about that, you think, well, that's a bit low. But then you think about all of the small businesses that engage in the construction mm-hmm. sector and you think about what they need. They yep. need to connect back into their supply chain and it would be absolutely fundamentally flawed to think that each of those companies would go and have their own strategy, almost like having our own strategy for the internet as citizens. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: There's a
1: piece of work or a layer of activity that needs to go on mm. that will help all of these different pieces connect together mm. so that, to go back to some of the tech terminology we've been using, the the GIS information and the BIM information are able to be used at different parts that information survives yep. the construction project at a precinct or city scale, depending on usage rights, that information's available to governments and to regulators yep. and a whole range of things that we just haven't been able to get to yep. because we don't have this layer of infrastructure, mm-hmm. digital infrastructure in place to help us with that next step of bringing all of those people along on this journey without having to do it themselves.
0: And with that, if say for a small business, for example, like you've said, I think it was 40% of construction firms, like you said, are, are online, present online. Yep. But what then could this bring to the industry if we if they began to think about it differently and began to think about data in a different way where, you know, digital transformation was at the forefront of, of their minds, what could they be doing differently than, than what's happening at the moment?
3: I think it's asking that question of why. Why did why do we want to change?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah.
3: know, I guess one of the reasons construction probably hasn't changed, probably say, Well, we're making money, you know, we're doing okay. But we're also losing money as well. There's a lot mm-hmm. of construction companies going under at the moment. Yeah. And there's a lot more work that needs to be done. So a digital transformation strategy You really got to ask well why are we doing this we want to be more efficient we want to be able to deliver more work we want our clients to come to us because we are the most efficient construction company out there you know we're we're going to do things better so i think that's the first thing you could ask you is why do we need a digital we're not just we don't just want a digital transformation strategy because everybody else has got one and something our clients are saying where's your digital transformation strategy Mm -hmm. really could ask why well what one is to help our clients and make sure we're delivering information in a better way to them, mm-hmm. but also to look at for ourselves to be more efficient, to be able to work better of our supply chain, and the bigger mm-hmm. companies I think have got a duty then to help train their supply chain.
1: Yeah,
3: you know I know that's something that we are, we are doing. You know, talking putting my construction hat on is it's our responsibility if we want our supply chain to work a certain way, is we have to instruct them and tell yeah. them this is how we want you to work. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is how we want you to provide information to yeah. us. So we're not spending a lot of time reworking conditioning. Mm you know, doing all sorts of things in yeah. a very manual way. So, yeah, first ask why, why? and and then then you really understand. And, and then you're able to communicate to all your people as well that yeah. this is about making your life easier. It's not to add additional work to yeah. your daily lives. So it's actually yeah. to make your daily lives easier so you're focused on the important things, yeah. not the really mm. admin-heavy, mm. you know, all the stuff that we hate. No, nobody loves... Well, some people love itselves
2: purchases. <laughs> yeah. Some people are born for that. Yeah.
1: And I think there's a there's a, another really important layer here, which are community expectations that are changing. So uh-huh. customers now, big infrastructure customers, expect a level of digital integration mm-hmm. in their physical assets. The community expect purchasers and asset owners to be responsible in how they construct, the wastage point is becoming mm. really important, the circular is mm. becoming really important. And I think what's gonna happen in the next few years is this whole ESG agenda yes. is going to connect to the construction sector, and then it will be shareholders and yep. regulators who mm. will be asking for very specific data sets yep. that perhaps don't exist today they in a whole are. lot of priorities. Yeah. And the only way to you're not going to fix that with spreadsheets, Mm. the way to fix that is to go back to the very beginning and to make sure that the data architecture is in place to be able to push out that information Mm -hmm. at the time that's needed. And I think the biggest thing that we can do wrong from here is continuing to do what we've always done, which is go down these separate tracks. There's this really important point of coming back get on the same page with this data point yep. and then continuing to run in our, in our different directions. Great points.
2: Um, I I'll sort of extend that that the traditional way of working is, is not sustainable. Like uh, I think a thing which really drives me and I think um, anyone that pays taxes is probably familiar that project blowouts these days can be significant. Like we're, we're in the age of mega projects and it's common for projects to cost over a billion dollars but when the blowouts cost a billion dollars and more and in some regards I think the community is almost primed to just shrug their shoulders and go, "Oh well, well, it's really complicated," you know. But it's a significant amount of money that goes to project overruns uh, unnecessarily, and in many ways, I think that the traditional ways of working haven't caught up with the scale and complexity of mega projects these days. And so, um, you know, if we just keep trying to do things um, with traditional tools, we can't manage at scale. And one last thing I'd say on that is um, you know, when it comes to, say, reporting, 20 years ago it was regular for the monthly report to be either a printed document or maybe a PDF where um, people would spend a month just to prepare the spreadsheets and make the graphs mm. and put it in a document and then we would go to the um, project control group and they'd review this document. And if they had any queries, if they wanted to know, well, why is there an outlier on this graph? Someone would have to take it on comment and then spend another month asking right. around. And um these days people don't want that. They want I want, I want an interactive dashboard. Thank yep. you very much. I want to click on this thing and it will tell me. It will yep. show me what's actually going on. Now, to do that, business intelligence and dashboarding and stuff, yep. it's powered by database queries. If we don't have our data set up in appropriate ways, we can't have this live, you know, reporting, live dashboarding, and we can't meet modern expectations for how data should be. Um, used and reported up to executives.
0: And then in terms of like the industries, if we take a step back and industries that are, have mastered and continue to to conquer the digital transformation journey, um, like say advanced manufacturing. I know, mm. I think Adam, we spoke about how the autom- the aerospace industry is using digital engineering and all these industries that have really embraced it. Mm. I would be keen to know from each of you, what is the one thing that the construction industry could learn from each of those, or one of those industries that have really embraced the digital transformation journey.
3: Well, coming from a manufacturing mm-hmm. background, yeah. um, manufacturing probably used to operate, similar to the construction industry a yep. long time ago. Everyone used just sit in their corner, build things, and then try to assemble them. And then we developed a production line. But mm-hmm. the production line relied on thinking about at the design phase. How's this thing going to be assembled so it could be automated and progress down a production line? And wherever you sit on a production line, the mentality changed to think, well, what can I do at my section to make the next person's life mm. easier? Yeah, so if we can take that thinking now into construction, we will start to operate with the efficiency of manufacturing because we're not just thinking about our little bit, our yeah. little silo. Mm-hmm. Information is not locked away in any one package. it's shared and it can be you know pushed around. And we're starting to improve, you know not not just thinking about me as a designer, thinking about a constructor and the operator and yep. say, let's all get together at the front end and make this construction project work mm. like a production line. So
0: mm. it's the kind of collaboration, not not in silos yeah. in essence. Yeah. yeah.
3: And that collaboration requires the contractual and this is part of what holds us back, right? The contractual environment means that mm. we don't have that opportunity okay. to collaborate, reuse information because we get told that, you know, you've got to take responsibility for this information. Okay. So there's all these little factors that mm-hmm. need to come together to make it work.
0: Adam?
1: agree with Eric, but I think the ask or the call is coming from a level higher than the construction sector. And I think if you look at manufacturing, if you look at the aerospace industry, if mm-hmm. you look at defence, yep. these sectors have moved when the call changed. And I think very quickly the call is changing in the construction yep. sector. And what the construction sector has is the ability to look back on the journeys that other industries have gone on mm-hmm and to work out how to do it, because the construction sector is already under a huge amount of pressure right now in Australia and globally. But if we're gonna go on this change, how do we do it in a way that is least disruptive yeah. to our ways of working as we move through it, rather than what some of these other sectors have seen, which is this big change in the way that things operate?
2: The big bang, um, people get scared by that, you know? Yeah. Loud noises. The alternative is um, augmenting. Um, the expertise we have with new skills that um, other sectors get a lot of benefit from already. I I think in the time that I was in government, one thing I'd say was a bit of a mantra was always to be trying to optimize and never get too settled in just, all right, we've got our process and don't question the process. I think there's always opportunities for trying to improve things. And so you know there's uh, a degree inside clients who are actually running these major projects to be able to um, keep challenging the way they're working and also not just rely on the expertise that they've always used but bring in things such as data architects, data management, um, the skills that um, are potentially going to help build um, these digital ecosystems that um, are currently absent.
1: And I think if I could just supplement what yeah. Simon yeah. said, the, the, in our view, the the one thing missing at the moment is the how to do that bit. How are we going to do this? Because it would be, it'd be awful yeah. if... 17 different groups yeah. went down a track, track. of yeah. trying to do that, yeah. we need to get into a position in Australia aligned internationally where yeah. we say, right, we're going to do this once yeah. and we're going to get that right. So, look at what exists internationally
3: and yeah. locally, all these different structures and mm. way of, you know, of sharing and say, okay, what can we adapt yeah. and how do we supplement?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then with that then, just in terms of looking internationally, this is for, for you, Adam, is that where standards can play that role or that kind of common language? or
1: Yeah, they can. Yeah. And we, there's a lot of, I mean, the BIM work has all been yes. standards-driven. Yep. BIM uptake was driven largely by UK government procurement. Yep, We've seen these things happen before, but there's no point having 17 global standards for yep. things. Yep. And the piece of work that we're looking at at Standards Australia at the moment is around the smart cities agenda, the digital twin agenda, the precincts agenda, Mm -hmm. the ESG agenda, the carbon (laughs) agenda, and the BIM agenda, trying to bring all these and a few others together to say how can we avoid this rework piece? How can we make sure that data being developed for one use case, which is essentially the same data that you're going to be using over here, is able to be used, is trusted, and that you can put the controls in place first the alternative to that is chaos it is rework yeah. it is duplication it's excel spreadsheets it's pdf documents yeah. and it's very frustrated customers yeah. who are the users of that data
0: in terms of then not coming together so if we if you know there is about 20 organizations working on on trying to bring this you know their own agendas in that sense what is the risk of not embracing the collective digital transformation with the engineering and constructing industry—like uh, what's a big be- in your—yeah,
2: just make life difficult for <laughs> everyone. It's just yeah. going to be a recipe for frustration, really, yeah. isn't it? You know. Um, like, if you've got um, VHS and beta, or you've got... you remembers that, so. Yeah, I yeah. oh no, no, no. <laughs> Show <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, well, I'm trying to think. Well, like, Apple and Android, they work well, I guess, to yeah. a degree, but I'm trying to think what the modern well, equivalent is. But- well, if you look, well, if stuff like MPEG
3: and JPEG, right, these yes. are all formats that anyone can write to and read to. Mm-hmm. It's an open mm-hmm. format. It, you can share it. Some, and some, at some point, everyone had to agree that all movies are going to be this format that can yep. be read by, so you don't have a Sony format, you don't have a Panasonic yep. format, you know, not That allowed that information to be shared. So, mm-hmm. we all Degrees they had degrees on as an industry that's yeah. the format JPEG. Yeah. You can move photos around to, and through any device.
2: And and that's where, when you're talking about other sectors before, Shannon, that's where other sectors have excelled by creating the you know a collective community that is engaged and working together to build an ecosystem. Um, and it's bigger than any one person, but it is you know, it starts in my view, I think, with um, a common vision, you know, to solve a complex problem you won't know how to get from a to b directly but the first thing is put a flag on a hill if you all agree on that And now we have a general direction and to solve a complex problem you do a bit and you measure the response and then you then set the path for the next part and in time hopefully you can break down a complex problem into a series of work streams and complicated problems and we can have technical people to solve it but um, if we can at least agree and get the right people on we have a vision. Yep. Do we all agree on that? That's the first binding agent and then we can have kind
0: of a
3: healthy of, debate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: I was gonna say you, you mentioned the 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 right people and how do you bring an industry along that journey? Well oh, it's a two part question. How do you bring the industry along the journey? And what does success look like? I've got
2: something I can say on this. I'm going to use the analogy of safety, and I, I may have used this analogy once or twice before, but I think it stands up. Safety is a great example that's swept through the engineering and construction sector over the last 20 years, where these days, every organization, if you look at their, um, their values, safety is always a core pillar. You won't find any kind of company in the construction sector that does not have safety you know, right up there in um in spotlights. Twenty years ago, maybe yes, maybe no. Twenty years ago, if you um, had an issue with your PPE, it's like, well, that's coming out of your pay, or you know, it's yeah. your own problem. Uh um, you know, people have a few beers or lunch, then go back onto a construction site. It was pretty loose. But what changed? How did we go from there to where we are now? And the first thing was the ability to set up Safe environments, pun on words, I guess, but the environment where people could talk about safety and the importance of safety, and starting a new vision for our sector where it's not right to say, "Hey, you know, we're going to break a few eggs as we build this project." You yep. know, I think set the vision, create the space that people are able to challenge ideas, mm-hmm. to come up with ideas in, um, and collectively start to build a spirit of collaboration, as opposed to. I've got an idea, and then other groups saying no, nah. and we just keep cutting each other down and never make any progress. Um, having that environment to be able to um, open new dialogue, I think, is going to be um, something that we need. Yep. Sounds like a standards committee.
3: <laughs> 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 it was the same for quality. It, that it was the same for yeah. quality, and it was yeah. the same for human resources. And it used to be an HR department, and now there's a quality department focused mm-hmm. on quality, yep. HR department focused on HR. So now, this is if this is important, then you need the right people to be focused on. Yeah. Data.
1: Mm. And I I think I have a slightly different view to you, Shannon, maybe from your question. Mm. And that is that this isn't the construction sector's problem to solve alone. Yeah. And some of the benefits of this will never be realized by the construction sector. It's got nothing to do with that design, Mm -hmm. build, commission operate piece. It's about how data can be used across a life cycle that's much broader. So to that point, I think the community that needs to come together to solve this involves this interface with other communities, the GIS people, the smart controller people. There's all these different groups Mm. looking at answering a question, which is how do we use data in the built environment? How do we collect it? How do we manage it? How do we maintain it? How do we use it? Mm -hmm. And that's probably, for me, the bigger challenge yep. is making sure that there aren't three big groups trying to solve this problem all at mm-hmm. once because that'll be an even bigger problem. And sometimes people don't know what they don't know. Exactly. Right? As yep. yep. the example of an iPhone many years ago.
3: People would say, I just want a phone that makes calls. Yeah, yep. But you go to those people now and say, Okay, take their iPhone away from them. Yep. No, 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 no. It's their no, third hand. No. that yeah. just makes <laughs> calls. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, when they answered the question, said, I yep. don't need anything else. Yeah.
2: My Nokia is
0: fine. My you? Nokia yeah, yeah. is fine. Yeah, yeah.
3: So then
1: who's the Steve Jobs who's going to come in and solve this problem <laughs> for us, Eric? What well, is the problem, right? The, the, yeah. the industry is yeah. open for disruption.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and just when you talk about disruption, this is a complete curveball. <laughs> How would AI change that agenda?
3: AI relies on digital information, doesn't yeah. it? So if humans are struggling to make decisions because they've got rubbish information,
0: yeah, AI yeah. is going to
3: struggle to make good decisions because mm. it's got rubbish information.
0: You don't see disrupting the industry. It will. Yeah.
3: Yeah, mm. but it's but it will disrupt it in a better way if it's got yeah. more information to yep. you know, yeah. learn and if, from.
1: And if, AI is, if, if the AI is being deployed to fix this data quality problem. It's a waste of the the AI's time. If if that problem can be fixed by the sector, then what AI would be able to deliver is productivity. It's time savings. It's safety. It's a whole bunch of things. So... There's a lot of people out there who might say, oh, well, forget this. This doesn't matter because AI will solve it in a couple of years. I'm not sure that's right because garbage mm. in, garbage yes. out. Yes. If we can get the framework right, yeah. then the AI can be deployed to do a whole bunch of cool things.
2: Yeah, exactly that. I think AI loves a database. Yes. Um, and if we set up our stuff so we can feed the AI, then we get all sorts of productivity benefits. People say, oh, you're going to lose your job. But I think, no, we just do it. We strip out the administrative tasks and the human error that we've had in the past. We, instead of having... Uh, maybe a controversial statement, the illusion of control on projects yeah. that are manually administered. We um, can have AI functioning in the backgrounds doing the work of, um, you know, th- that that sort of keeping the project ticking over. Piloting mm. um, issues quickly. Yeah. 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 Um, AI is the clerk of works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> We're
2: going to always fire them then too.
0: <laughs> just, just back to your point around the the iPhone, is it a case where... The industry might not know the actual benefits that it can really bring, because, like you said, you yeah. don't know what you don't, you don't know. Know, what you
1: don't no. know. Yeah.
0: So is it the case of that will help bringing them on the journey of of showcasing, you know, from other industries how they achieved? And it
3: happens every day, right? Yeah. People say, "I don't want that technology," but once they start using it, they yeah. want to go back. Yeah. Once they realize and they understand that this isn't a, a burden to me, or yeah. this is a benefit to me, and mm. Now I'm no longer doing the stuff that I hate, yeah. And I can really focus my time and do more with yeah. the like everyone's time pool. Like you ask anyone in construction yeah. and design, I've got no time. I'm too busy. I'm up till midnight, you know, trying to put reports together or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. People hate that. They don't want to do that. But they, I don't think they see the connection between what we're trying to do with the technology and the data yeah. and solving these problems of not doing the stuff they hate doing. Yeah.
0: In terms of if you all had a magic wand. It was one thing that you would change about the behavior of the industry? Simon? The uh,
2: yeah, okay. Um, good question. You're making me think. Um, <laughs> if I was to change one thing, um, you know, I did mention this sort of cultural thing before about the ability to, you know, challenge the status quo and to be able to um, create a space that we can collectively imagine and create um new ways of working new ecosystems without the risk of um being shut down and um and sort of defensive blocking of of ideas our sector has some amazing ideas you know if young graduates say for example come up with ideas but that's told no we don't do that around here or or no that's already been solved don't even bother looking at you know new innovation yeah. um we'd be missing out yeah. Um, well, they'll
3: go to another sector. Even yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that happens a lot. It's like, well, these guys are just, uh, you know, they're not moving. Yeah. Um. I, like I have heard, just as an aside, uh, working with um, some people, they're saying when their graduates start, after about six months, they're just shocked. They're just like, are you for real? I studied this long and this is the way you work in <laughs> <Yeah>. 2023. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they come up with ideas, they're told pretty much just be quiet. Okay. Um, And so I think um, if I was to wave the wand, it's to be able to change our industry in a way that is one that can be more open to embracing both ideas on projects, but also the big ideas, because we need to challenge things on a big level. To
3: quote Steve Jobs, think different.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, My one thing would be to be able to pause just long enough to be able to have this discussion and work out a way forward, because I think there's going to be a lot of wasted energy in the next short while while okay. people are still running at things yep. before we get to a point of alignment around precisely what it is that needs to happen. And my magic wand would stop that wasted effort and direct it towards solving this common problem.
0: I'm handing the one to you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think the cultural change is the huge thing, yep. right? Just changing the way of thinking, the way of acting, changing the environments that we work in to allow that better collaboration and having those discussions without being shot down. You know, there's a lot of good work that's taken place in a lot of pockets around the place. So it's bringing all that together and not having this sort of tall poppy syndrome where we knock each Mm -hmm. other down when someone comes up with a great idea. But also, you know, bringing people along for the journey and saying, well, okay, let's see what you've developed. Let's see how we can incorporate that and bring it together. And the challenge is always going to be like, you know, everybody wants to lead you know you can't have everybody leading so it's that's that's the challenge we've got a whole bunch of leaders who have been in this century for a long time how do we bring them together and say look there's no one of not one of us is leader but we all need to yep. work together mm-hmm. so it makes yep. all of our lives easier
0: yep i think that's a great way to to end the conversation thank you all for for your time and um for, for bringing your your insights and and, and views really appreciated thanks john thanks guys. thank you, very thank you shannon I want to thank our guests for providing us with great insights into the world of standards and the need to adapt to ensure we remain relevant in areas such as critical and emerging technologies. Check out our show notes if you want to learn more about the role of standards in critical and emerging technologies and the standards development process.